everyone in this room, yeah? I'm looking at you. You, 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 you. There's 11 yous here that I, as me, am seeing. Now let's switch it over to Debbie's position. Now Debbie's looking at 11 yous from the position of me, which is truly I. The I of Debbie is looking at all these objects and, and giving them the name of being you. And I'm a you to Debbie's eye, and Debbie's a you to my eye. I'm a you to your eye, and you're a you to my eye. There's one thing, I, that's always so. And then there's all these different yous. But all the you, when the you becomes an I, it's always the same I. It's the eye of consciousness that's seeing right now. When it sees, the mental process goes, wow, that's me, and me is a mental image of what you would call a you is. So, you're holding, your, you're claiming the I to be me, which is an image that your mind holds of a you, a body. So, the I is the act of conscious contact, Every person who's seeing, it was I that was seeing, you may have called it me, but obviously it wasn't you, yeah? You were seeing the you's, you, 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 but it was one I. So, every time the experience of seeing occurs, there's ten you's, but only one I. Yeah? Ten you's, one I, ten you's, one I, one I, ten you's, one I, ten you's, one I, ten you's, yes? So, now the different, what's seen can change all the time. There could be 30 U's or 1 U or 5 U's, but the I never changes. It's always I that's seeing all the different U's. You may call it me, your head goes, oh, I, which implies me, which implies a U, so you hold yourself as a body, and you're calling the I, which is consciousness, a body called me. Yeah? Based on seeing other bodies called you. So bingo, the I is always what's seen. In every experience of seeing, there's only I seen. What's seen can be different, can change all the time, but what's seen never changes. It's the same eye here as the same eye there, and the same eye there, and the same eye there, and the same eye there. All the U's can be different. They can be less chairs and more chairs, but the act of seeing is, I don't know if I like to say it was done, but the act of seeing is only one. One eye is seen. So, all right, I hear, you hear, you hear, you hear, but in fact, all, all that's hearing is one eye. The mental process in this body says it's you or me, yeah, but, that's, it's, but we're calling the same eye different me's. The mental process calls the same eye a different me. The mental process in your body says, it's me, this body, 
the mental process in this body, aligned and identified with this body, goes, it's me, this body. Yes, the mental process in that body, in when the, the act of seeing occurs, its interpretation is I'm seeing, and the I is a you, called me. Yeah? The I that I'm believing is seeing is a you, a body, but that body's called me in this experience. Yes? But it's I seeing. I seeing, 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 I seeing. So anytime there's the act of hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling, you can be smelling tons of different things, and not even you, but there can be smelling tons of different things, feeling tons of different things, hearing tons of different things, seeing tons of different things, and what, tasting tons of different things, but what's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching is the exact same consciousness. But the mental process in your head, your brain, gives it a name, which is me, and that name is a concept of what it sees to be a you, a body. Yeah. So when you look in a window, mirror, what do you say? You say, wow, you're seeing you. Yeah? You're seeing you like you would see a body. Yeah? That's me. Yeah? But it's a you. You're seeing a reflection of a body out there. So it's, it's a you. That's you. And, but you go me, and that's the covering of the eye. So the eye is the only seeing here, feeling here, tasting here, touching here, smelling here. It is what facilitates every contact and all experiences. Yet the mental process in each quote-unquote individual body produces a concept of that eye and calls it me, which is a composite mental drawing of what it thinks a you is, a body. Yeah? So I... I, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, is every you, every me, and every you that thinks it's experiencing, you know, you think it's me that's experiencing it, is truly I. And it's the same I in all the different me's that are appearing as you. (laughs) You know, it's so unbelievable. So what's looking out of my little, this little tripod is truly what I am. What's facilitating the looking is not what I am. The lens is not what's taking the, is not what's seeing the picture. It's what's looking through the camera that's seeing the picture. And it's seeing this picture develop in this little photography studio as feeling, seeing, tasting, touching, smelling. Yes? That's all of its forms of seeing here. Six forms. It can see thoughts like your eye would see a bird. It feels, tastes, touches, and smells. So you're seeing in through these six different doors, but what's seeing through, through all these different locations is the same eye. No matter how many different yous are seen, 
The same eye, no matter if it's here, there, 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 it's the same eye that's seeing you. It's the same, same eye. So you and I, as this, facilitate seeing here, yeah? So where is that located? Always, everywhere. The eye isn't a form. It's not in a location. It's not based on space or time. It's always there, and yet it has an experience through this, and its consciousness now sees itself by tasting, hearing, feeling, seeing thoughts about it, everything like that, yeah? But, and each camera that it moves through thinks it's the one that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. So the conscious con consciousness is here, and you and I are like a camera that it moves through, yes? The mental process senses that and says, oh, that's me, and then it moves itself prior to the consciousness. And it says, now I'm conscious. I'm doing consciousness. I am seeing. I am thinking. You believe you're thinking. You believe you're sitting there and thinking like you would run. Don't you? But why can't you stop? If someone said stop running, you could probably stop running. You can't stop running. You know, that would be an illness. But what happens? People say, hey, stop thinking. Can you do that? You're on the treadmill of mind. But you think that you can, you're the doer. Yeah? So if you believe you're the doer of something, and that something's driving you crazy, what, that, what does that make you? If you're the doer, if you actually believe you're doing something, and that thing you're doing is driving you crazy, then you must be really fucked. If you're living in a realm of self-centeredness, because all meaning will be given back to you. No matter what's going on, if when you go, oh, something's happening to me, and I think it could be different. Sounds very innocent, isn't it? seems like to be the first catch of the first ball thrown in the game of life. Something's happening to me. Yeah? And then you look at it and go, hey, I think this could be different. I don't like what's happening to me. Yeah? So here's something's happening to me. First of all, you've just set up the whole game. The whole game starts because now you've given life direction. You think it's happening to you. It's freaking incredible. So the self-centeredness now becomes the myth. And things that are thrown way in left field, you somehow bring it into its own relevance to you. Somehow everything applies to you sooner or later. Yes? So if you go and talk to someone, oh, let me tell you about my mother. They immediately chime in about their mother. Everything gets related back to them constantly. It's all about me, self-centeredness, okay? So here, you believe you're the thinker of the thoughts. And some of those thoughts, let's say, you give the meaning of being bad. What's going to be generated by that relationship? What's going to be generated if you believe you're the thinker of bad thoughts? Yes? What's going to be generated? What you call a typical atmospheric mental realm, guilt and shame. You're going to experience guilt and shame for the thoughts you've thought. Especially if you have given them the name of being bad. 
So maybe you're in some relationship and your idea of being in a relationship is you should never look at or think about anyone else. You know, some fucking insane, you know, that would mean I'm really in love with that person. What happens if you notice that you have thought about someone else? Oh no. Guilt and shame. <gasps> yes? How could it not be? How could it not be if the first thing's in place, you're the thinker of the thoughts? How do you want to, how can you expect to get freedom from guilt and shame if you believe you're the thinker of the ones that produce the guilt and shame? Or you're the doer of the actions that produce the guilt and shame? How do you ever believe you're going to get self-forgiveness about all the guilt and shame you have about what you've thought and done? No, it's about seeing you're not the thinker or the doer. That's the freedom from the effects of that. But most people constantly are totally rooted in the idea that they're the thinker of the thoughts, and they're trying to get therapy to learn how to have just good thoughts, or affirmations, or somehow or another, let me get control of this uncontrollable guilt and shame maker, you know? I want to just have good thoughts now. I don't want to have, you know, I'm a preacher, but I'm looking at that 12-year-old girl in the first pew, ah! Don't you see it? If you believe you're the doer of something, the mind has carte blanche to have an opinion about what you did. It can have you in court every freaking moment of conscious contact because every conscious contact will be claimed by your head as you as being the one who's doing it. Seeing it, hearing it, feeling it, tasting it, and touching it, yes? And therefore, you're immediately in its courtroom and it will convict you somehow or another. You can have a beautiful day and one crazy little thought, oh, I'd love to do that to... Oh! Immediately guilt and shame, huh? Look at this. You hear things about everything is love and everything is perfect and it's all beautiful and blissful and yet you see someone beating some girl up down the street, or you see, or you go over and review what you quote-unquote have done to other people in your life, it is irreconcilable. How could, this, how could there be love and perfection and all there is is bliss when my experience is co totally contrary to that? Yeah? It's a very, very confusing message to the head. And now, if the head is in self-centeredness, it is going to see that it had to have something to do with why it sucks so bad. You cannot escape the story on, of you and self-centeredness. You're written into every freaking story. So if you have this idea, if God help you, if you've entertained that there is all love here and all bliss and there could be beautifulness everywhere and everyone could be nice, and then having the perceptual experience all day that that ain't the case, you better believe if that mind and self-centeredness is your hair helmet, is your helmet up there, you are going to be guilty for it. It's going to be based on something you did, that's why it is like this. That's the whole course in miracles, in a sense. The guilt you have is that you feel we are the cause of separation. You believe you did this. That you were once with God, and then somehow you're not with God now. Okay, let's just say that very innocently. 
You were once with God or with wholeness or with truth. Okay? You were once with God, wholeness, and truth. And now you're not. Okay? So you're once with God, totally blissed out all the time, Garden of Eden, all that stuff. Yeah? Even beyond that. And then something happened and now you're not. You don't believe your head has a story that you had something to do with that something that happened? God definitely didn't. You're not God-centered. You're self-centered. The self is going to have something to do with it. Not God. God is going to play a, a secondary role. It's you. You're the cause of your own separation. How could you not? How can you escape that storyline if you're in self-centeredness? How? Tell me. That if everything pertains to you in self-centeredness, everything... Every condition that you truly find yourself or believe you find yourself in, after you blame everyone and your family of origin and the government and Bush and everyone like that, it always gets deeper into you. You are the reason why this sucks. Because there's no way your mind can see it any other way. Because why? It's rooted in self-centeredness. It means everything is centered on self. So you, in a sense, truly, you're not just no you, but the mind and self-centeredness has to write itself into the reason why this place sucks. Talk about guilt and shame for something you did wrong when you were a kid. Can you imagine if you believed you're the source of separation? <laughs> you're not going to give yourself a break for one second here. You better get loaded all day. Just like that was my solution. I want to be as unconscious as possible. Unconscious to the fact of what? To the fact of separation. Why? Because it seems like I must have something to do with it. How could it not? Do you know the system of self-centeredness? It's a mental system. It's a way of thought and interpretation. It's rooted in the center as self. So everything, the way you see everything... The way your little mathematics works is when you add it up and subtract it, you're a major player. You're like the primary number. The whole math of this whole place is based on you. Why do you think you're seeking like crazy for? You're trying to get a relief from an imaginary problem. That's why you'll never get any relief. As long as you believe that there's truly separation, that you are a body, that there has been a split, that, you know, I must have done something for this hell to seem so freaking real to me. Once you, if you don't see through that, it's therapy galore. And then the more therapy you get, and the more free time you have, the more neurotic you are. It's better to be on the survival level, they're more happy than the people who have a lot of free time. And you can get therapy three times a week. And get massaged eight times a week and get plastic surgery. They're totally bummed out. At least the people who are surviving you know, on a low level at least have a sense of purpose. And, you know, they're, they're living. But here we, we're in like Marin County is probably has the most therapies, therapist per capita in the world. And they're sick as hell. <laughs> they got way too much time. What can they do? You can think about it. That's the unbelievable dilemma. The same thing, you know, I remember all the traveling. I go to Burma, super, super poor country. 
but the hat, the smiling there was so consistent and persistent compared to here. The people were much happier. Much, much happier. Isn't that the fucking proof in the pudding? Is how you're traveling? Not how you look while you're traveling. Not that you got the best gear and the outfits, but actually how you're traveling. These kids were amazing. They'd have, I went to a, a park there. They built like a, like you would have Rockaway in, Long, in New York or whatever, a great adventure in great America. They built this little thing near the river. Yeah. Now, their, one of their big rides was an old uh, place where you'd hang a laundry out, you know, one of those things, pole, and it has a circular thing with ropes, and, you know, you'd have those pins and you'd hang them off, and so we'd get the sun 360. And they had, they made these little cardboard boxes and painted rockets on them and like airplanes. And they let the kids sit in it and a lady had a, had a rope pulling this thing around. And that was their ride. The kids were blissed out. This lady, they were going maybe one-tenth of a mile per hour. They were just walking around and just like... <laughs> now you come here... I want to do it again. I want more tickets. You know, it's crazy. So, tell them yourself said in this, take a look at it. If it is truly the system of mind and thought that you're suffering under, you have to look at its basic format. It says it very well by the statement, self-centered. Everything is centered on self. So every observation you make about the condition of your life, somewhere in the storyline, you're at fault for it. You're at fault for why things don't last. You're at fault, you're at fault, you're at fault. You have to be. Self is the center of the whole interpretation. It's not going to miss any beat. This is about traveling later. Here in this either-or place, you can either be dying as the self or to it. And it's not an action or an act of volition by you. It's a state of living. Either you're dying as the self, which is, in my view, you're identified as a body and you're believing the thought system. False evidence is appearing real to you all day and your mind and body are reacting as if it's so. You tend to live under the rules of what's not happening and the override, the gift and the grace of what's happened. A miracle that happens now will be forgotten in an hour or two, and a resentment that was made up in time will be living with you for the next 30 years. That's called dying as a self. You can't die as self, because there isn't one, but your mind can act it out like a pantomime. What it would look like to die as a self? Well, that's a pretty damn good thing. You're constantly reacting to false evidence that's appearing real. You live in a realm of time, past and future, or what's not happening, and you have no value or honor to the moment whatsoever. All it is is a stepping stone to think, to return to the past and speculate about a future. Now, dying to the self is you start entertaining. Maybe very humbly. Let's just start with some thoughts that you've heard a lot of people share at, let's say, recovery meetings. And some feelings that a lot of people have shared at recovery meetings. And some reactions to, a, to, 
two situations in life that a lot of people have shared they've been under at recovery meetings. Can't you entertain that they may not possibly be your thoughts, your reactions, and your feelings? If so many other people have had them, if so many people have gone to places where we gather so that we can get out of a sense of terminal uniqueness and we listen to other people who seem to think, or maybe they don't, or maybe they do believe they have alcoholism, and then they share what it's like by thinking, by their feelings, and by the reactions. And if you're listening for a few months, how can you miss that there can only be two observations that can hold any water? Either they got my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions, or they're not my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions to life. What happens if you entertain the latter? You'll have some immunity to the false evidence. Because it's not the evidence that's appearing as false that's so convincing. It's your believing it's about you is the convincer. It's the act of identifying with the evidence, not the evidence. The evidence is false. It's primarily coming from what's not happening. It's almost like an imaginary truck is driving into your space and, it's, and it has you sign for all this, all right, 30 pounds of anxiety. Yeah, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. I could have cancer next week. Okay, it's in the truck. 20 pounds of regret. Oh, yeah, that fucking guy's got a Cadillac and Okay, yes, I'll sign for that. This and that. And okay, come on in and dump it all in to my little moment. Yeah. And then the next, all coming from an imaginary field, all freaking made up in a mental realm, and you're signing for it every freaking day, and it seems to be real to you. Why is that? The same truck can come, and someone who's a little bit, let's say, having a good day, will look at it, see that it's not happening, and won't sign for it. The truck will have to go back to the imaginary depot and dump its imaginary group, you know, shit into some imaginary field. In other words, it will have no effect at all. What happened? Is it, the, is it the evidence that's so convincing? Obviously not. It's if you believe it's about you. That's the convincing aspect. It's the act of identification. That's the moment-to-moment bondage here. The act of identification. The thoughts have no value or no punch within themselves. You give them the punch by believing their content, which you have injected into them. You haven't. Your head has. A thought comes, and you believe it brings you something. Your mind injects something into it. And its syringe is, these are my thoughts. Just shoots it up. With what? Anxiety. Rightness. Excuses. Rationalizations. So that you can make somewhat an unbearable situation somewhat bearable by blaming someone else. Does it ever freaking work? Any system whose main activity is excuses, rationalizations, and disassociation and distraction means it doesn't deliver the goods. If something delivered the goods, would it need to have an excuse why it wasn't delivering the goods? Of course not. Would it have to rationalize why what you were really hoping for to happen didn't happen once again? 
Why, would, you, would you have to have a giant explanation why the delivery didn't occur? No, because the delivery would occur. Yeah? It would be clear as day. But no, the system we're relying on is totally unreliable, but we won't break the bonds and, with our reliance on it. Every time it doesn't deliver the goods, there's an excuse. There's an irrationalization. There's blaming others. Oh, if I wasn't so busy looking that way, I would have seen the delivery. No, there's no delivery. You got exactly what it delivers. Nothing. Anxiety. And then it's, what, can, what do you live on hope? That someday it's going to be better for some, in some miraculous way. And time just goes tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. Are you still waiting? Then some people, we come here, and, you know, most of us aren't going to go on 10-day retreats. We're not. If someone said, all right, you're going to have to go on a three-year pilgrimage, you wouldn't do it. You, you won't even go for half an hour. You won't, you won't do five minutes of breathing exercises. Jesus Christ. So then we come here, maybe to me or someone else, and really, what sometimes the mind's looking for is just permission to do, not to do what it doesn't want to do. It doesn't have the balls to say, hey, I don't fucking want to be free, so fuck this. But it wants to have someone give you permission. You don't need permission. That thing is not you. Whatever it's saying, oh, I really love the truth, it's bullshit. And if it's saying, oh, I don't have any interest in the truth, it's also bullshit. You are what you are, which is what's seen. There's no escaping that. You can act as if by being identified as this for a short period of what we call time, which is maybe 80 years, 90 years, but it doesn't make a difference. All there is is seeing. Let's say Jim is just that chair. There's Jim in his life. 90 years of bouncing around. And yet when you disappear, it'll be like that you were never there. You can go to the place you did the most horrendous act in your life and there won't be any effect in the space by that behavior. It will be as if you were never here. Yet there will be eyes seeing. The eye will be seeing out of other camera tripods. There's never an eye lost when a, an appearance disappears. There's never an eye gained when a new appearance arises. There's just I. There's just consciousness.
totally aligned with the body appearance. The thought is drenched in the system it serves, which is self-centeredness. You can't think of spirit. Every time, if your life is based on waiting for your head to tell you what happened, that is living a past. Because every moment, there's conscious contact, and then the next moment is the mind's interpretation of it. For an interpretation to occur, it takes time. For a brain process to make sense out of light and hear sound and taste and touch, to make sense and, to ha and claim it by saying it's me and it's about I saw her and the story of her and this and that and that and that, it takes time. So by the time it breaks on the shore of your awareness, it's a past wave. It's like getting yesterday's surf report. When you go to the beach, you're probably going to be disappointed or surprised. <laughs> and yet, if you're living by self, as self, for self, from self, that is an interpretation. No matter how much you try to get into the moment, the moment you're trying to get into is the past. So you're actually trying to leave the moment you're in, which is impossible, and you're trying to get into the moment that's past, which is impossible. <laughs> like that. Like the mind's doing the same thing. I walk Fido. Five years later, I walk Fido. It's different. I was thinking about walking Fido. That's much different than walking Biff. No, it isn't. The mind's just thinking about walking a dog. Now Biff's been dead for four years, and you're still thinking about it. Oh, I remember walking Biff. Or was that Fido? I have no idea. Somehow, it's mind. Sad, unsatisfying. Yeah? How much milk can you get out of an, an imaginary cow? Very difficult. There's going to be no nutrition in it at all. It may look like you're having an act of an experience. I'm just going over my life. Let me sit home this weekend and go over it. Oh, all those waves I caught, I get not, no matter how much I think of any wave I've ever been on as, as a surfer, I never get wet by it. Ever. Never. Never does it capture the experience of being in the water. Never. It's a... It's, the only way it has any sense of relevance is because of the experience that's been had of being in the water. Yeah? So then the mind's take on it still carries a little, oh, of that flavor. But to have only that and no experience of being in the water, to have only an interpretation of life and no experience of living is dry to me. Totally dry. How could it not be? No matter how many times you write the word wet on a paper, does the paper get wet? Does the paper get drenched no matter how many Big storm! Tsunami! No, the paper's dry as hell. Consciousness wraps its 
is wrapping around every note of that flute. Every note, there's an infinite silence around every note. That's what accentuates the note, is the infinite silence. The presence, the infinite presence that's available sitting here. Who knows if it's infinite? It doesn't matter. As far as you can see, you can't see beyond it. All there is is seeing. But the sense of that presence fills up this freaking room and any room that you are in because you are the source of the presence in that room. You are every inch of every experience that's ever happened. The, the sense of being the seer is you. The seeing is you. What was seen is you. The whole experience of life has been you. Mind and mind alone. Tell me that when you close your eyes that you see the back of your cheek and that th there's nothing here. This is just like an imaginary border. The mind just goes... <laughs> Sometimes you can see constellations of stars. Things happen. You just close your eyes. It's so crazy in a way that we take appearances to be real and what's real we say is nothing. It's incredible. They could be that ass backwards that what we call every these things look like they're present, right? This is present here, isn't it? This is present. This is present. This is present. This is present. And let's say the space represents the absence. But Let's say you took the space out of this room. Would there be a room without space? <laughs> Let's say you took that thing that seems like nothing out of this room. <laughs> but let's say you take out any of the appearances in this room. Does it affect the space? We could take everyone out of here, Greg, me, the chair, this table, the rug, the walls, nothing has affected the space. But to take the space out of this, there wouldn't be any of this happening. And yet, <laughs> we believe that we're the center. It's all about me. <laughs> this can get snuffed out and even your best of friend will forget you in a few self-centeredness. The mind itself is all there is. The mind reflecting self-centeredness and getting caught by that reflection and taking it to be itself is what's causing every all false evidence to appear real. It's your mind that's seeing the false evidence and is taking it to be real. It's what's giving the false evidence the appearance of reality. The false evidence is false evidence. It's the mind that can make something false look real. That's why it can produce exquisite suffering out of nothing. Your mind, the mind, if caught in the center of the identification itself, 
when it entertains something in what's not happening, it can produce an effect in here. It can make this body sick today in the fear of being sick a year from now. That's pretty miraculous if you look at it. If it can take, if it can produce an effect in what you call you, this body, out of nothing, if it can make this body jerk with an imaginary string out of two years from now about what could possibly be my condition on 6th and Market or something. That's incredible, isn't it, to me? That you can imagine hell and make it seem so for you now. Now, I could see if hell was real, that then if it was here, it would have a real effect. But you're making it up. And it's producing, I don't believe it's a real effect, because it's producing an effect in an appearance, but you're taking the appearance to be you, so it seems real. Yeah, That's mind-boggling to me. What a power that is available, that if this believes something that's false is true, it appears true to it. That's incredible to me. Yeah? So if the mental process keeps producing false evidence but the mind has been tricked into believing it, and it keeps producing the effects in your body as if they're true, the evidence, you're fucked <laughs> as this figure. You better hope your mind has some mercy on you, because if you've got a sick, neurotic, self-centered point of view, which most of us do, it's going to have a field day when it comes to producing exquisite suffering out of nothing, eh? hasn't it? Like someone is, becomes the most important person in your life that you thought you were going to have love with and it actually produces 10 years of sorrow and hate. Isn't that incredible? The, not, the, the meaning the mind gives it is, oh, this is my savior, and it just drives you crazy for the next 30 years. <laughs> That's really mind-boggling to me. <laughs> You know, in recovery, so many people will come in, and after a few years, they think, I've heard of them a number of times that over the years, so they'll share, and they go, you know, I just wanted to share with the group that what I used to think was the worst thing that ever happened to me, I've come to believe was, is the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, that's an incredible demonstration of the unreality of this place, that if a thing... A, some evidence that you said was the worst thing that ever happened to you after a few years of just doing whatever, going to meetings and blah, 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 can now look as if it's the best thing that happened to you. You don't see that you have a major role in, in what's happening in your life. That you and I are giving everything all the meaning it has. You can't see that. And one of the first meanings you give things is that they're real and inherent out there and they have the ability to affect you. Once you see that as real, you're behind the eight ball already. You better get a lot of therapy. But if you can see that, all right, prior to all meaning, yes, being given the things, I have now been given some very valuable information that I, as this apparatus, give everything all the meaning it has. Let me entertain that. Is that all possible? Not 
you know, when I go on the retreat, but while I'm giving meaning to things. Yeah. Not while I'm giving. When my head's giving meaning to things, maybe, just maybe, hold on to that understanding. Oh, it was once revealed to me that you and I give everything all the meaning it has. Is that what's happening now? And now? And now? Oh, that's what's happening? I thought it was solid and real out there. I was giving it that belief. I was giving this meaning of being real. And if I give it a meaning of being real, it can affect me. I'm giving that all the meaning it has. Isn't the mind just going to open up to a whole nother realm of possibility if it sees that it's been giving everything all the meaning it has? That the first meaning it gave everything is that it was solid and real and outside of myself? And now that's been pulled out and I've entertained Jesus. I've been given all these things here, the meaning that they're real and solid and outside of myself, and then attributed them tons of abilities to affect me. Holy cow! So that's why nirvana and samsara, nirvana meaning blissful state, and samsara, suffering state, are the same. Because my head, when giving meaning to things, can only give meaning to things in a complementary, contradictory way. Either or, yes or no, good or bad, pleasure and pain. It's a binary system. It doesn't have many numbers. It's just ding, 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 ding. So now, oh, so now I'm giving everything all the meaning it has, and the way the meaning is given and how it manifests is in a dualistic manner. Oh, wow. What does that mean? What does duality mean? Duality means contradictory, complementary, polarity, like either or. And the primary duality is dualism, which is subject-object. Oh, so when I'm seeing something... Like we said earlier, there's the I, which is subjectivity, seeing itself as object, but this object has taken itself to be the subject. So now it's saying, I'm the subject, forget about subjectivity, I'm the one that's conscious, and I'm having a relationship to all these real solid objects out here, because I'm a real solid subject, as an object. Well, okay, now... I see that I give everything all the meaning it has, and how that meaning manifests is dualistically. Wow, freaking unbelievable. Okay. Now let's see if apply it. Apply it to your day living. And you'll see the proof is in the pudding. Jesus, I give everything the meaning it, that it has. I look at something one day, I'm not in good shape, it's a problem. The next day I'm in good shape, it's not a problem. The next day I'm in bad shape, it's a problem again. I just got the principle. I gave that everything, all the meaning it has. Get it, yes? You can get the whole ocean by one drop. One drop, your mind can expand to the whole ocean. It's not like, oh, I give some things meaning. You and I give everything all the meaning it has. So this is truly your world. Because you know your world by its effects. And its effects have been given the meaning of being the effects by you. Jesus Christ. And it's going to be yes and no, either or, hot and cold, male, female, night and day. That's how this whole manifestation appears, dualistically. So, I believe I can be connected to God and disconnected to God. 
very dualistic take. And that my connection will be based on what I do, and my disconnection to it, to it or whatever, is based on what I do. So now I play the biggest God of all, because my knowing God is based on if I want to know it. If I don't want to know it, if I don't do what I need, think I need to do, know God, I won't know God. I'll be living as if I don't know God. That's playing God. Yeah. Oh, so the whole how and why of recovery programs is to realize, quit playing God. Why? It doesn't work. The how and why of the whole program, the how and why of the whole program, of the 12-step program is, quit playing God. Okay. Quit, how am I playing God? Well, first of all, I'm giving everything all the meaning it has. Yes? <laughs> That's a pretty big example of playing God. The meaning I give is, is based on duality. So now, maybe, just maybe, you get a flavor that this is constructed. It's not a real organic place that has a real inherent existence. It's truly made up. It's a dream that the mind is having. Yeah? And that dream is being projected as this and through this. This is where all the meaning is given from, yes? And it's all the, where all the meaning is perceived. And you perceive it as if it's solid and real outside, don't you? And yet the Course of Miracles would say, projection precedes perception. Mind projects, which means mind gives meaning to things, and then your apparatus perceives it as if they're real solid and that thing has that meaning. You give it a solid existence. You take it to be real so that you can feel like you're real as this. This is a construction. So, okay, now I've gotten three, four very, very incredible little bits of information. Then the thoughts are not yours. What? Well, if they're yours, then stop thinking. If they're yours, like if they're your dogs, haven't you trained them well enough? Call them over. All right, come on, wandering thoughts. Get back here. Come on, let's see. Attention, come on, thoughts. Only good thoughts, only loving thoughts, only blissful thoughts. They have nothing to do with you. The sense of you is a thought in and of itself. And then that thought is the modus operandi for the mind to claim all other thoughts. So you take yourself as a thought to be the thinker of all other thoughts. So I'm not the thinker? No. And all the thoughts about good and bad, all the judgments, all the convictions I've had, and all the sentences I've lived under, proclaimed by the God and the judge of mind, I've been absolved from in the court of light? Yeah. What the hell am I going to do with myself now? I'm fucking free. Yeah, exactly. You're free. Free from what? Guilt and shame. Free from what? Duality. Free from what? Giving things all the meaning they have. Free from what? Make, taking things that aren't real to be real. And so, you included. Now, you're living closer to the true nature of mind. Yes? As Jesus says, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. You're now getting a sense of what it's like to be of what you are, while you're in what you're not. Yeah. Maybe you'll travel later here. I would imagine you will but not as a you. And if you're in recovery, you'll probably put to youth service because against your will most of the time. Really. You're just, you're on call 24-7. So it's over. Well, any semblance of it's your life is a joke. 
Mike doesn't give a shit about your opinions. <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> My experience. So. so you want to break it down, you can break it down. But all prior to all of it is seeing. If these little bits of information can assist you in recognizing the unadorned seeing as the primary aspect of all living, hallelujah, then they had some value. If not, if you think you're the one who just heard this, then that self-knowledge will avail you nothing. It's the same dualistic approach. Knowledge can avail you a huge amount. Self-knowledge can avail you nothing. Yeah? It can go either way here. Yes or no. Dying to self, dying as self. They're all dualistic mental states. Yeah. Playing with each other. It's the mind, but the states take form and appearance here, and they contradict and complement. Every coin has two sides. Every coin. You can never cut the coin to it has only one side. Every side, every coin has two sides here. There's no escaping it. You cannot transcend this place because you don't exist anywhere other than here. Self can't get out of self because self is a product of a mental process. How could, we, how could it exist anywhere other than the mental process? The mental process is thinking self, called selfing. It's the only place it exists. It has no existence anywhere else. And it doesn't even have an existence here. It has an appearance here, but to, to appear here seems to be existence for us. For something to appear here, we give it existence. If it doesn't appear here, we think it's nothing, when it's actually the opposite. What's appearing here is truly nothing, and what's not appearing is everything. <laughs> All the appearances come and go. Is that reality? I would say reality is what's always here and has never changed. I would say that's more real than what comes and goes, yeah? But we give what comes and goes a sense of reality, and we say this has no reality. <laughs> that's insanity to me, isn't it? And we're suffering, you know, aren't you? Isn't it a drag when you hope to get something and then when you get it, you can't even enjoy it? You don't have the ability to embrace all your wants. Your whole life is based on getting those wants, all the ducks in a row, and yet if they ever do, you can't even embrace them. You're embracing them, usually strangles them. Girlfriend becomes my girlfriend, you're going to be up on stalking charges probably in a few months. Yeah. As soon as the claiming and the ownership arises, it's all fucked. This isn't a go out of, get out of free jail card, whatever, get out of jail free card. It's just waking up to the fact of your role here, yeah, in a sense. For me, that's what happened. Someone shared stuff like this with me, and it was like an unspoken yes when I heard it. I was just done. I didn't know I was done, but it seems like I've been done now. It was like the last answer was finished. The whole search was, the whole drive to be relaxed and resting, all this baloney in a sense was done. It's just so obvious. All the, all the contortions of getting more relaxed and less relaxed is all just contortions. All actually how to spend time here, thinking you're doing something. Because it's really unbearable to do nothing for the mind. It doesn't find any value in that. It can't accrue value, and the only way it has value is by losing it or making it, yeah? 
It has to get it dualistically. It has to do it by doing something or not doing something. So I'm really good because I didn't do that, or I'm really bad because I did that. But it can't just have value in and of itself by doing nothing. It's very difficult for it. That's why people, you gave people a lot of free time, they get just like most people in Marin. Extremely neurotic. Flipped out, they do. They can't handle time. It's difficult not to do anything. The mind's bored. Shit. Who am I if I don't do something? If there's a, if the mind is constricted in that idea of selfing, then it has a lot of of its of attention and interest caught in time. <clears throat> this is just going back to a room where you forgot something, basically. And what you've forgotten those in those in all those past events is your interest and attention. It's been caught by things you felt uneasy about and you didn't want to really deal with and the fears and the regrets and that you hurt people and stuff like that. So the quickest way here to reclaim that attention and that interest is just, well, it's a very good way, I don't know if it's the only way, is by doing the steps of recovery because then you you don't regret the past nor, you shut, nor do you shut the door on it. So now your interest and attention can go there when it needs to to find out about self so it can recognize I'm not that or it can not go there at all, yes? But now, if there are certain aspects that... It's like, here's the mental realm. And the, and the mind and selfing is up there. And then all the interest and attention that you are is claimed by that mind. And so a lot of your interest and attention is caught in time. Yeah? So you can't even really be here at this moment. Because your mind's busily denying things that it's uncomfortable with, trying to forget things, making sure stuff is locked away, and you know, you're paying rent for those places, so you know those doors never get open, so you don't have to see it anymore. And then also, a lot of its attention is concerned about what's going to happen to it as a body and as a self later. So when people go, yeah, this is the place, this is the moment, this is the invitation, in a sense, that's true, but most of us can't attend to it because we're, our, all our interest and attention, which is what enlivens this moment up for us, is distributed in the mental realm. Selfing has put it and put it into the past and into the future, and it's not up to you can't call it back. It doesn't listen to you, does it? Yeah? So when you do four, five through nine, in a way, well, Step three also is very huge about the future, and five through nine is about taking care of the past. So that, or even the concept of a day at a time is attempting to get your interest and attention at least somewhere near what's happening. 
Yeah? So by cleaning up all of that, more of your attention and interest is in here, and then you can be aware of the presence that's available here. But if you're not here, if you've got a lot of lies and a lot of bullshit in your head, see, ultimately, of course, none of that's so, but in this appearance, you're captured. Your interest and attention is captured in the mental realm. It's beholden to a lot of things, a lot of regrets, a lot of the reasons why you, you get to be who you are right now is based on all the shit that you think has happened to you. The mind has a lot of value in that, and it has a lot of value in speculating how you're going to be. Yeah? When we're here, we're not calling it all back. We don't have the power over it. So we found a method to retrieve it, yeah, by doing the steps. So now when I walk, like I did this one, it was very simple. I used to rob this store in the North Beach every day for months. I used to steal, I told you many times, yeah. I used to steal a couple of six-pack, of to- uh, two, six, two 16-ounce beers and then a steak in the back. I had this long jacket. And every day, and then I would just wait to get loaded on drugs. But this is how I survived. I had a, I had a drink. You know, and I needed a little food occasionally. So I did this for months and months and months, and no one ever caught me at this market, Rossi's Market, right in the middle of North Beach. And then I got sober, and I had conveniently forgotten Rossi's Market. But see, on this level of consciousness, which wasn't that conscious seemingly, yeah, there was a lot of, my mind hadn't forgotten Rossi's. It was paying a lot of attention to Rossi's. So every time there was a meeting on Thursday nights in North Beach I'd like to go to, and you know Rocky, uh, San Francisco parking is a premium here, I wouldn't even go on that block Rossi's Market was, even if I knew there was a parking space available, because I didn't want to remember Rossi's Market. Yes? My mind had an agenda going on. So here's my conscious mind, I think I'm going to a meeting, but there's another aspect of mine that had an agenda. You, you're going to a meeting, but you're not parking near Rossi's Market. <laughs> So, basically, Rossi's was had a lot of my attention captured, yes? Because my, I wasn't attending to the situation at the moment, which is I need to get a space so I can get some meeting on time. I would override that need because it was more important not to remember I ripped off Rossi's because I don't want to confront Rossi's and make an amends. Yeah. <laughs> so, finally, one night I said, I'm just going to go into Rossi's. And so I went in there and I asked for the manager. I went up to the office and I... Uh, said, hey, I used to steal a lot of stuff from your place, you know, for months. I used to live down on Montgomery Street. And the guy was, he didn't know me from a whole lot. Yeah? And I said, yeah, well, I'm in a program recovery, and one of our steps is to make an amends for our past behavior. So I'm making an amends. It was 55 bucks. I stole a lot more than that, but it's $55. So he said, oh, thank you. And I walked out, you know what? And I never thought of Rossi's again. So my attention, even though I thought I had it all here on Thursday night, I really didn't. My attention was beholden to keeping that at bay, that idea of Rossi's market, because of the fear of dealing with it. Yeah? So when I made that thing, that interest and attention was brought back into this moment, and that's the feeling of being alive. Your life, the feeling of being alive, is brought by you to your own, by your own attention and interest. If your attention interest is into all these dramas and all this shit, you're not going to fucking feel good here. You're really not. And here's not going to look that appetizing or very inspiring. I feel fucking shitty. 
because your attention has been taken by selfing and interest and has been distributed into its realm. And some of the work is you've got to go back there sometimes, and not you, but being willing to go to any lengths brings back that interest and attention, and that's what you're feeling when you're feeling that presence, is your own attention, taken back from all the mental distributions that it's gone under. Yeah. That's why people have come to this meeting, and now they're loaded. Because things weren't dealt with in their head. Yeah? They thought this was an easier way out. Oh, I don't have to do the steps. I'm just no person. There's no Paul. But now they're drunk non-duality people. They're fucking on a... You've know, got to go through a 21 detox, day detox. It's still not going to be that much fun. And they have all the knowledge in their head that there is no self. Did it work out? No, obviously not. Eh? This isn't about like cutting in a head in line. <laughs> if this, I, this, this alcoholism is a disease just like if I had diabetes. I could be the greatest awake master and if I didn't take my diabetic medicine, I would have effects here. And if those effects hurt enough, this body would scream in pain. And that would be the experience that was happening here. So we have a disease, some of us, of addiction and alcoholism. You better take care of it. Because if you don't, it's going to take care of you. A lot of your interest and attention you'd like to spend in another way will be constantly being sucked up into that. Either avoiding it, or denying it, or promoting it, or hiding it, or whatever. You'll be busy, busy, busy. Yeah? And so the moment won't even feel that attractive. And you'll say, fuck, who cares about being here? I want to be out of here. I don't like this moment, because that moment won't be the moment. It'll be a mental moment brought to you by the mind, you know, by that mental realm. I've been there. I've seen it. When I got sober, I was really ill. I hadn't been sober in so long, I didn't know what it was like to feel all right, even physically. And I had no sense of balance or well-being. And I had, had, a, I had shot some dope about a year or so before, and I'd gotten a staph infection. I had a big rod from a car accident. And my whole body was infested with staph, which is a nasty fucking bacteria, I think. And so when I got sober, I was like, is this sobriety? This fucking sucks. And I felt shitty, like, all the time. And, I, and relating to people was really heavy, hard, because all my energy was just trying to keep myself alive as a physicality. I mean, and then I was so out of lunch, it took me like a year and a half. And it was because something physical happened. My knee got so swollen, and I couldn't remember how I hit it, that I had to go to the doctors, and they, they said, shit. First they told me I had it, they thought I had AIDS. So, and then at that, at that time, you had to wait three weeks to get it back. But it was so great, because I had the reliance on something greater than self. I didn't concern myself at all. I just waited to hear the news, whatever it was going to be, and it wasn't. I didn't have AIDS. Then they just kept to a test, and then they said, we think it's staff, and you can't leave the hospital. And I stayed there, I was in there for a month. They operated on me, and they did all this shit, and they, and I started coming back, you know, year after year of being sober. And then life started having a new meaning to me. It wasn't such a fucking drag anymore, because physically and emotionally, I was starting to get well here. And my interest and attention was retrieved from all the places that had been dispersed. 
And in the mental realm, it can be seemingly lost for a long freaking time because it's in what's not happening. And you won't even miss it. Yet you'll be eating tons of ice cream or doing taking pain pills or acting out of pornography. All these reactions, the unbearability, will be coming more and more prevalent. And yet you're not loaded anymore. And then you start seeing the real root of the disease isn't alcoholism, it's self-centeredness. The identification as being a self. Even when something seems to be getting uncomfortable, there's a sense of there, this is, it's like being on an operating table. You just don't get up until the doctor tells you to. Yeah? Yeah. But you'll know things by their fruit. You have the ability to recognize blue as blue and red as red, and you'll know satisfaction as satisfaction when it's truly satisfying. And a lot of your behavior will shift dramatically as soon as you become satisfied. Because mostly it's all your whole basis of seeking is based on dissatisfaction. And as a self, you'll constantly be dissatisfied. Yeah? Because every satisfaction is followed by a dissatisfaction because it's not enough or it doesn't last and then on, so on and so forth. So they're seeking from satisfaction through the absence of satisfaction, which is dissatisfaction to satisfaction to the absence and so on and so forth. Yes? All the while, the one solid uh, interpretation of all those movements is there's a self having it. And that's the lie of all lies. That's why in recovery you get placed in a position of neutrality. You do not get placed in a position of oneness. You get placed in a position of neutrality between the two poles. Yeah? So they say don't get too high and don't get too low. You don't. Yeah, yeah. This isn't about feeling good every day. Maybe it will be for you. For me it hasn't been that at all. It has been about being awake all time. You'll see the reason why you shut down. I mean, the mind had a very valid, uh, from where it was looking at things, this place is too much for it. It has to disassociate. It has to. Because it's overwhelmed by so much stimuli and stuff. I mean, before, didn't you think your body was just your body all day? Maybe you had a stomach ache one day, or, and another day maybe you had a pain. But basically, it always seemed to feel the same. Yeah? Like you'd walk around for days and think, and body felt pretty much the same, didn't you? When you were young, especially. Man, the body's experience, it's like a realm of experience every second. I mean, every second. There's no security in a body unless it's made into a noun. There's no security. It's a giant verb. Verb fest. There's feelings and things going on constantly. I mean, the awareness is just saturated with functioning and experiences happening. Yeah? I could see why it would want to close down. 
This is fucking overwhelming. It could be damn overwhelming. If there was any identification as being a solid noun, you'd be washed away by all the verbing going on. The only way there's security in all that verbing is to be a verb. As a noun, it's just a giant assault. Really. But as a verb, it's everything is... It's the true security is in the insecurity. The true resting point is in the unrestful nature of this place. It's constantly verbing, 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 verbing. And in that verbing, there's its opposite, which is the stillness, the true stillness of all stillness, which is the mother of all verbing. We try to stay busy as a mental verb, but we're doing it as a noun. Some lady called me up 